Shut up and sit down. Welcome to another episode of Business Bros. Today's podcast is going to be on owning rental property. Why? Why are you even listening? Why Why even get to the point where you're getting rental properties? What's the whole point? Financial freedom, That's right? That's it. You need to make money, and once you start making money, you need to make that money work for you. It's the whole purpose, right? We don't want to have. We don't want to work at a nine to five job for forty years. For what? Why? Uh, pension? Pension? That's Social Security? Probably broke by the time we get there. Probably, probably. I mean, honestly, if you're listening to this, it's because you want to make a change in your life, right? You you were looking for something different, something that's going to change your path, change your direction. And that's why you're here, because problems can't be solved by the same level of thinking that created them. If you're stuck in a rut, whether it's a nine to five job, that's the problem that you created. That's the level of thinking that you're at. So you need something to help catapult you to the next level. It's not your boss's job to make you rich. Never is. It's never your boss's job to make you rich. So you need to find somebody, some other accountability factor, some other person, some other organization, maybe like the Entrepreneur Money Coaching Club, E equals MC squared. Maybe it's our coaching program that's going to help you go to the next level, right? That's the whole point. That is why you listen to us. That is why you're on this show because you want to better your personal situation, whether you want to be a better investor whether you want to be a better business owner, whether you just want to start developing a business so that you can leave that nine to five job or to monetize a passion that you're in, that's why you got to go to our website, www.csfirst.com. Make sure you leave us a little memo and one of our reps will get back to you as soon as possible. Make the change starting today. It takes a little bit of initiative to get your step going in the right direction so that your efforts on a daily basis aren't wasted, right? Excellent. Excellent. All right. So let's move into today's topic. Today, we're going to be talking about owning rental property because honestly, once you uh, once you get into the direction you want to go, that's where your money should be going in our humble opinion. In our humble opinion, we really uh, believe in the philosophy of own or build uh, businesses and then invest in real estate, right? So the businesses that we build, they create an income for us. Then we turn around, we take the profits from those business, we purchase real estate, long-term rental property, and it secures that income for us. Right. I mean, cash, if it just sits there, it's going to it's gonna go away. It's going to get spent. It can't just sit there. You have to put that money to work for you. Or to get eaten by rats, but like, uh, like what was with that drug dealer? What's his the name? The drug dealer. Yeah. I don't know. One of those big old cartel guys that has a bunch of money stored away in cash. Right. Yep. They're going to eat the, they're going to eat it. <laughs> oh, it, was, it was bad boys that's what it was it was bad boys that's it was right. bad boys. It was bad boys there you go stupid anyway. ratas <laughs> stupid ratas all right so put that money to work let's talk about investment property now there's a couple different ways that you can make money in real estate and without having a license mind you right without having a without license. having a real estate license if you have a real estate license by all means you can do the representation you can help people buy you can help people sell you can make commissions mm-hmm. whole different ball game what if you don't have a license right Right. That's kind of what we're going to talk about here. Owning rental property is probably the best way. So uh, we'll get to the rentals. Is that we're, we're mainly talking about long-term rentals. But it, if you're not going to be doing the long-term rentals, there's other ways you can make some money in the real estate game. Right? One of them is probably one of our favorites that uh, we were on the receiving end of, but is the assignment of contract. 
Okay. The right? receiving end of, you're talking the about when we end. bought the uh, Spring Valley property. The Spring Valley flip, right? Right. That was an assignment of contract. It was. So this is where um, you as an investor go out and you're putting offers on properties um, that are probably, you know, in disrepair. They're pretty, they're pretty hard up or it just can be a hot market, right? And you're going to lock up a property short term, turn around and sell that actual contract to another investor, someone who wants to come in and actually put the money, put the money in, close the deal, Mm -hmm. do the work that needs to get done or even keep it long-term, whatever the situation is. But you're basically dialing for dollars at this point, right? Right. So when you are the uh, preparer of an assignment of contract, you're the one that's out there dialing for dollars, like you said, making those phone calls and getting that property under contract. Right. That's your that's your ultimate goal. That's, that's it. your goal. That's it. Talk once to you, people and get them to sell you your house. Right. Because once you have them house. under contract, you're in control of the deal. Right. Right. Now, um, you have to make sure you have a pool of other investors that you're going to sell this contract to. That but, makes sense. But in the, the harder part, I mean, that's the easier part. Once you have it, soliciting different investors is the easy part. I have this deal. What do you think? It's a good deal. I'll sell it to you. Right. Right. That's really what happens in the aftermath. But the beforehand, making those phone calls, talking to people, you know, knocking on doors. That's the harder part. That's the that's the part that most people in business, period, fall off from. Yeah, that's that's the hard part to do. I mean, you're talking about basically cold calling. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody does. Nobody wants to do that. But it's not always. Very, very few people. Very few. And it's not always cold calling. Cold calling has a very very negative connotation because, you know, you're going down. You might as well grab the, uh, well, there's no yellow pages anymore. But you're basically going down a list of names and and picking up the phone and dialing. Uh, At least here, you're. There might be a Google uh, yellow pages still. There, yeah. I'm sure there is. Yeah. So going down a list without having any expectation. This type of this type of strategy is a little more targeted, though. You're going down a list, maybe like a notice of default list. Maybe um, you, you're going down the list of people who've passed away, mm-hmm. estate sales, right? You're looking for people who are in a position that they need to sell. So it's not exactly cold calling. These people um, those, need an outlet. Those are the three Ds that we're always talking about, right? Death, divorce, and disaster. Exactly. Yep. So those are the people that you're targeting. And uh, so that's assignment of contract. The other one, of course, is fix and flip. This that's is, HGTV's favorite. That's HGTV. This is what makes real estate popular today. Everybody yeah. thinks they can turn, you know, come in and be, be flippers. And it's not the easiest gig in the world. Not at all. No. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of unknowns that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not a regular in the game, you can't expect uh, contractors to be doing your every bidding and, and be at your every beck and call. They got to make money. They have multiple jobs going on at the same time. Right, right. So, you know, s- small-term investors don't have the luxury that you see on the HGTV channels. So they make it look really easy. They're supposed to. It's supposed to be sexy, right, to go in, buy a property, fix it, and flip it. Right. But there's a, so much that goes into it that experience will help you out down the road. Partner with somebody who's done it. Mm-hmm. Partner with somebody who's doing it currently or has had a number under their belt. And then that way, you develop the skills as you go along. You might not get the 100% of the deal, but you're you're not, well, you're limiting your exposure and you're partnering with someone who has that experience. Right, right, right. So it's a safer way to invest your money, really. Yeah, definitely. You're not, you're not going to invest it on flipping property with someone who, you know, owns a donut shop. Right, right. right. If I wanted to invest in a donut shop, I'd go to that guy. Mm -hmm. 
But otherwise, I'm investing with an investor who's done it in the past, who has a track record. So going back to uh, the richest man in Babylon, we're not trusting a brick maker to uh, invest in jewels. Exactly. Make sure that when you place your money into action, you place it with somebody or somewhere that it has a chance of succeeding, a high chance of succeeding. All you right. want to minimize your probability of loss. Exactly. Every, invest- exactly. every single investment has a risk of loss. Everyone. All of them. Always. But you want to minimize the risk of loss. And maximize the maximize the risk of gain. All right. So those are those are two other things that you can do when it comes to real estate that don't require a license, but still allow you to make decent amount decent amount of money, right? Yep. So we're gonna talk more about our long term rentals, right? This is a strategy that you're acquiring rental properties over a period of time. This isn't a sexy instant gratification type investment. No way, not no. at all. This is a short. Um, short return or minimal return w- over the long haul right right this right is, this is a lot of capital invested if you do it the way we do it you know and we're trying to buy cash right. so it's a it's a large investment and it's got a decent cash flow but it's not a major cash flow you need to essentially if you want to get to where we want to get to that thirty thousand dollars a month we're essentially thinking 30 properties yeah yeah so, yeah, pretty much you know, it. it's, it's a long, it's a long process. It's not an easy process. Um, it's not going to happen overnight, which means you have to have the other things in place fueling this portfolio, mm-hmm. funding the next property. Right. And that's where, that's where the money coaching uh, club comes in, right? This is where we're structuring our, you're helping you structure your business so that you have profit so that you're focusing your efforts on profit making activities. So that way money comes out and then now this is something that you're going to do with that money. Right, right. Right? I mean, otherwise, what are you doing it for? I mean, you're, if you're not in business to make a profit, you're better off going to Home Depot and getting a job. I mean, straight up. Yeah, that makes sense. What is it that, what's that saying that you always say? Uh, profit isn't. Profit isn't everything. It's the only thing. And that's, there you that's go. The, that's the name of a book, actually. So it's a, it's a, it, it, mind you, if you read this book, you may be a little offended because it's literally like that. Profit isn't everything. It's the only thing. It's the way you run your business. You're only in business to make a profit, right? If you're not in business to make a profit, if you're in business just to be, you know, giving everything away, that's not a business that's called a charity. And those are very good too, but we need good charities in this world. But that is not a business. If you're in business, you're in it to make a profit. And then you take the profits and you reinvest them to secure your cash flow long term. Fair enough? There you go. And that's exactly what we're talking about with long term rentals is taking those profits and securing them for the long term. This is an after effect. This is not a this is not a before I do anything. This is what you do with the after of of building your business. This is the profit margin part. All right, so, so if, if somebody was sticking through the uh, real estate investing, uh, if that's what they wanted to do, so maybe somebody who, like we've talked about before, is a contractor, maybe they'll be really good at the fix and flip part of it, and then they take those profits and purchase long-term rentals to secure their income over the long haul. Right, because a contractor cannot, um, cannot work and then retire because they are the person who is swinging the hammer. They are the person right. who is talking to the customer. They are that person. Mm-hmm. So as long mm-hmm. as they remain self-employed, there's no way they're going to be able to retire. When they stop working, the money stops coming in. Right. So they need to take some of these profits while they're profitable, while they're making a lot of money in hot markets like we're in today. 
there's money accessible people are doing things to their house people are expanding so contractors are are making a killing right now they're charging enormous prices because their their availability is far and few between right so they can take high demand low supply high demand low supply so their prices are way up but what are they doing with the profits guaranteed most of them are not putting it away they're enjoying and living the high life right now but when the market changes are they going to be prepared let's hope so let's hope so right and that's what we want to do with your money club um <laughs> i always fumble on that money um coaching club we want to make sure that we coach you to handle these profits in the right way so that when the when the economy changes you're not looking at it as a downturn you're looking at it as an opportunity because that's really what it is this absolutely is, this is where we're going to find the best rental properties and that so, actually leads right into our first topic of conversation here which is the purchasing and financing right i mean purchasing what better and time than when the market is low right when it's low and and okay when it's low there's certain things that are going to happen the availability of financing shrinks right you have to have much higher qualifications to get loans when it's a down market Right. Because lenders are just not lending like they used to. All of a sudden, they're you not know, as generous anymore. No, all of a sudden, uh, a 580 credit score is not going to cut it. You're going to need a 650, 680 credit score just to get a qualify for a loan, and that's not going to be what we used to have, which is like an FHA or a VA qualification. The standards are going to go up, right? If it's your primary residence, well, you might get away with a, just a little bit, but you're an investor now, so that'll work for the first property. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily going to work for the second or the third. You need to have your ducks in a row, right? And this is where you start working with more uh, conventional loans, right? That's really where you're going to be able to borrow to uh, what buy does that, your What does that mean company. when you say conventional loan? A conventional loan is something that you're going to get, um, let's say, from Chase Bank or Wells Fargo, right? Direct from a, a, an institution like that. Mm-hmm. But it's going to require that you have a higher credit score. It's going to require that you have proof of income. It's going to require that you have what's called seasoned money. means right. money that's been in your account for a period of time. Usually just, like 90 days, right? Right. That you just didn't get a gift or borrow it to mm-hmm. qualify, right? And, um, and you're going to need about 10 to 20% down. 10 to 20%. So in our market right now, uh, here in San Diego, where the average price of a home is about half a million, you're talking fifty dollars to $100,000 in cash. Down payment. Down payment. That's right. And, that's and a conventional loan. That's a conventional loan. And, and compare that to what other types of loans are there? Let's say it's uh, an FHA loan, right? If you're going uh, FHA, which is what most first-time home buyers are going, you're looking at 3 3.5% down. So you're looking so at 15 Maybe twenty thousand dollars is a down payment. That's a huge difference. That's a huge difference, but it means it means that less people are qualified, which means less people are buying, which means if you can, that's where the opportunities are. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean you, you you're heading into a downward market. You have profits. You've been being meticulous about where you put your money away, and now that the market's changed. Now it's time to pull the trigger, right? Now it's time to make mm-hmm. something happen. Right. Now, if you've been very diligent and very profitable, you could buy cash. Then no bank needed. You can close in a few, you know, a few days, you're good to go, and mm-hmm. here we go. And if you're buying cash, you have the leverage of time to do some of the rehab. Right. Not just that, you have the leverage of contractors who are out of work, who need work. In that down market. 
who will bust their butts to get your job, you know, right. in a certain timely manner. So, so in that down more. market, that that supply and demand shifts. shifts. Right. There's a high supply of laborers and contractors who aren't so busy. And the demand isn't as high, so you get your pick of the litter. Exactly, exactly. So that would be on the fix and flip. Now, on the long-term cash, if you have cash on hand and you're buying rental properties, you're buying at the bottom of the market, your return on investment could increase significantly just because you have the cash on hand to buy at a great deal. And since it's a buyer's market, usually at around that time, you can usually get below market because you can close quickly. Right. So there's going to be people who are still in distress. They're still going through the death, divorce, disaster. They just happen to be going through it during a down market. So you're going to get even more of a killer deal Mm -hmm. than you would in a a hot market by having cash on hand. That makes sense. So I know that that you, you and I, we tend to have different opinions on this. See, the way I look at it, yeah, if you have cash, you can buy one property, two properties. Right. But also, if you have cash and you have enough to put it down on on conventional loans, you could actually wind up with three, four, eight properties. Right. By leveraging. And to me, I like it because I'm not putting all of my eggs in one basket. Right. It's a way to diversify. Um, And you use that you use that leverage to purchase multiple properties and as the market starts to turn and values start to appreciate again you have the uh benefit of appreciating on you know five six eight properties as opposed to just one you know and when you when you put it that way it really does make sense our long-term thing is to hold free and clear properties right right but um, if it's a down market and we're, we know it's a down market and we have the cash to leverage that way, it might not be a bad option to leverage at the bottom. And then as the market turns around, we sell half of them, pay off the other half and pay off the other half. I mean, that's, def- that's exactly that's, what I was going to get definitely to. A, that's definitely a strategy that's that you can put into effect. But the only way that works again is to have that nest egg away to be able to do that. At that point, it's an option game, right? You have a choice, and that's the beauty of having the cash on hand when the market changes, right? That's that's where if you had put the money away, if you had been diligent in paying yourself first, if you had been coached and put aside your profits to work for you, Mm -hmm. this is the time where fortunes are made, right? right? This is the time where cash doesn't disappear, just changes hands. Yep. Be prepared with your hands open at the right time in the right position. There you go. And catch it coming. There you go. So a couple things more to talk about when it comes to purchasing and financing. You may also, you may always hear this, um, this abbreviation, this acronym PITI. What does that stand for? Principal interest taxes and insurance. So usually when you hear a mortgage, especially when you hear it on TV or some of these, uh, radio quotes, they'll talk about, um, you know, buy a $500,000 home and your payment is only $1,500 a month. Well, it's, that's, they're not lying to you. They're just probably only giving you the P and the I part, the principal and interest part of your payment, mm-hmm. right? And and if if they're only giving you those two, what they're not factoring into that sales pitch is the tax portion and the insurance portion. So your property taxes, you pay them, you know, twice a year, mm-hmm. and but but the impounded account, the money where where uh, you pay that monthly payment, usually that impounded account and it accounts for the principal and interest, but it takes your annual tax payment and breaks it up into 12 months. 
So that way, you know, you're not paying one big, large $6,000 payment at the end of the year. You've broken it up to $500 a month. So, yeah. So in other words, if my uh, tax liability on my home is $2,400 a year, then my mortgage is going to be an extra $200 a month so that they can put that money aside for that tax payment. Exactly. Exactly. Because it's much easier for you to manage a, a $200 a month payment than it is to come up with the $2,400 the month that it's due. Right. Right. So, you, so there, it's, a, it's a forced way of getting you to uh, put that money away. Same thing with the insurance payment. Right. Your insurance premium can range anywhere between like five, six hundred dollars to like two thousand dollars, depending on the size of your property and the risk that where it's at. And, right. you know, a lot of different factors. So the same concept goes for the insurance part. If they it's only paid once a year, maybe twice a year if it's a semi you know annual payment. Mm-hmm. But your escrow is going to break up that payment into whatever the monthly is and be part of your total principal and interest payment. So that is really what your mortgage payment is in total. It's the principal, the interest, the taxes, and the insurance, the monthly payment on each of them rolled into one. And that is part of your 30-year fixed payment that you need to be looking at. When you're buying an investment property, you need to take into account P-I-T-I. Right, because that's the bottom line. That's what comes out of your pocket every single month. And that 1% rule that we're talking about, where you, when you buy a rental property, it's 1% of the value should be what you're getting in uh, rent. That should cover PITI. 1% of the purchase price. 1% of the purchase price should cover the rent, right? Yep. Should be the rent. Yep, because it covers the PITI and uh, gives you hopefully enough to set aside for the uh, maintenance that may maintenance, occur during the time. some vacancy time. Right, right. Just anything that might come up for the property. So what about this other acronym that I hear, PMI? That is principal mortgage insurance. Principal mortgage insurance. So we talked about principal in the other acronym that we just talked about. Is this one the same principal? Is it different? It's the same principal. So when you borrow money on a house, right, um, there's a portion that you're paying back to the bank, the amount that you borrowed. That's the principal amount that you've borrowed, right? If I borrowed $475,000 on a house, then I am paying back towards that principal amount of $475,000. Right. Now, a portion of my payment pays down the principal. A portion of my payment is the interest, which is basically the rent you pay for borrowing the money. Right. And And most of these amortized loans are interest heavy at the beginning, right? So you pay a lot more interest and very little on the principal. Up front. Up front. But after seven to 10 years, you start paying more on the principal and less on the interest. Correct. Correct. So and that actual yeah. uh, loan amount starts going down. And it's designed that way because banks know that after about seven years, you're either going to refinance or you're going to sell the property, in mm-hmm. which case you're going to start the loan over. They're going to get paid Somebody's off. Somebody's going to. Somebody is, right. They're going to pay it off their principal and then they're going to start brand new interest payments again. So it's, it's designed against the buyer. But, you know, it's just the way it is. Business, banks need to make profits just like you do in your business. Banks know what they're doing. Exactly. And if you don't understand how the numbers work, they're not going to help you understand it for you. <laughs> you got to go out and uh, figure it out yourself. So anyways, how does principal mortgage insurance work? Um, let's say, for example, that I took out, you know, it's a $500,000 loan and I put my uh, my three and a half or 5% down. So I put down, you know, 25000 I have a mortgage of 475000 now, okay, I'm following you so far. Okay, so the bank doesn't feel that that's enough skin in the game, right? If there's a small fluctuation in the market and my house goes down in value to 475 like what I owe, 
then I might not feel so obliged to keep my payments going, right? I might say, mm. you know, I have no equity. Why am I even paying this? Or I'd have some sort of mixed emotions. The market drops a little bit more and now I'm upside down. I'm even less likely to continue my payments because I have feel like I have less value in the property. Interesting that we had that conversation in one of the uh, recent podcasts where, uh, you know, you don't actually lose that money until you sell. No, right? but in my mind, I have a different value. Makes right? sense. And so, and so... Unrealized loss. Right. And so there's an insurance policy that you are paying, by the way. That's why it's called principal mortgage insurance. There's an insurance policy, policy saying that if you walk away from the loan, this insurance company is going to pay the balance of that loan or whatever is lost after, for example, they, f- they have to sell the home in foreclosure and then there's maybe $50,000 difference, this mortgage insurance is going to pay that difference. Does that make sense? It does. So um, how do you avoid paying principal mortgage insurance? Make sure that you put a 20% down payment. Then you don't have to pay the additional PMI payment. And So if I owe 80% of the value of my home or more, then I'm going to have principal mortgage if you, if you, insurance? yes, yes. So if you don't, if you, if you have, if your loan to value when you close escrow is, is, uh, more than 80%, mm-hmm. then yes, you will have a, a calculated amount of principal mortgage insurance. So the larger your down payment, the less in premium you're going to pay mm-hmm. because you have more skin in the game. The smaller your down payment, the larger your principal mortgage insurance because you have less skin in the game. That makes sense, right? And so, I mean, we're talking principal mortgage insurance. It can be anywhere between, you know, 100 bucks a month to like three or $400 a month in this premium that you're paying. You're betting. You're placing the bet, right? You're paying to say, don't worry, I'm not going to default on my loan. So you're paying extra to let them know that you're going to make your payments. Exactly. Ouch. Yeah. Well, that's principal mortgage insurance. <laughs> wow. You know, and that's and, all just to make sure that if I don't pay, they get their money back. Exactly. Exactly. Interesting. You're, you're being, your risk is being mitigated um, by the principal mortgage insurance because you only put up 3.5%. Got it. All right. So we've talked about how to buy. Right. Next thing we're going to talk about is where to buy. Location, location, location. Number one rule of real estate, right? All right. And, and the thing about this when it comes to rentals anyways is... Uh, you don't necessarily have to be in the best market or the hottest market, mm-hmm. right? As long as you know, I mean, they have different types. They usually rate rental properties in like an A, B, and C, maybe D category, right? Mm-hmm. Where A is like a really good, you know, neighborhood, high end, or higher end homes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, upper middle class clientele for rent, right? You know, those that type. And then you got like a B neighborhood, which is you know just below that. You know, still like a blue collar, maybe a white collar worker, a mix in a that mix. neighborhood. Yeah, probably a mix. But it's still nicer in homes, right? Right. And then you go down to like a C where it's maybe more more blue collar. Um, less white collar. Less white collar. Way less white collar. Right. Um, your schools aren't the greatest, mm-hmm. um, but it's still a decent neighborhood. Or you got it like a D neighborhood and it's not really a good neighborhood. You have a lot more Section 8 tenants. Mm-hmm. Um, it's lower income area. Right. So, you know, you have different types and not that any of them are good, bad or indifferent. It's just that you need to understand what it is you're getting into and where the investment is, because that's going to make a difference on what you're going to pay, first of all, mm-hmm. for that property. Um, and then your turnover ratio might be different. 
You know, if you're buying in a B or a C neighborhood, you might have less turnover than if you're buying in a D neighborhood. Right, right. That makes sense. Right. Or if you're buying in an A neighborhood, you know, your rent might not be as nice, but your appreciation might be a little bit better over time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it just it just depends on, you know, where you're where you're going to buy. And you can choose any of those types of locations as long as you know what's in it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And, we, you know, and, and that's really where we're talking about um, the different demographics. Right. What are what are some potential tenant issues that you might have on the upscale? What are some potential issues you might have on the lower scale? Right, mm-hmm. we we haven't uh, we don't really spend most of our time on the higher end when we're purchasing. I mean, to be honest, we don't. for us personally, we don't. But we that's don't. not to say that other people don't. No, no, no. It's it's definitely nicer. It's just the price point is higher. I I kind of you know when I'm looking at the when we look to follow the one percent rule, it tends to fall more in line in the B the low Bs and C neighborhoods. Right, right. And I don't think we've done really thing, anything in the D neighborhood mainly because. Our rule was pretty simple. If if I can't walk over and collect the rent, it's probably not the neighborhood I want to buy in. That's right? a pretty simple rule. Yeah. <laughs> so so I mean, not that we actually walk over and collect any of our rents anyway, but that's kind of the the general rule that we're looking at. I don't want to be a slumlord. Nope. Right. And so you know, we we want to make sure that we're buying property that we can uh, we would we would be willing to live in ourselves. Right. 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 And that's, I agree with that. And it just if you think of it that way, I think you'll have good tenants going forward because i think that's a good rule know, of thumb yeah it's, it's a basic rule of thumb there's no you know exact science for it you know you're going to choose the market that you want to be in but that's just kind of where we come from right so we talk about the one percent rule and we talk about appreciation versus price stability right mm-hmm. so when we talk about appreciation versus price stability we think back to our experience with buying that property in Las Vegas, where we bought it for how much? Two hundred and we bought it for two hundred. We bought it for two hundred thousand dollars. We sold it two years later, two fifty five for two fifty five, and two years after we sold it, it couldn't hit the market for what, like one forty? I think yeah, it was, or something. It was, it was pretty low. something less than that. Yeah, it was, and and they couldn't sell it. No way. And uh, even now, I don't think it's gotten all the way back to that two fifty five. No, we mark. saw we saw it actually sold in twenty fifteen for one hundred and forty five. That's what it was. There you go. So, you know, when you're appre- when you're buying in places that are appreciating a lot, right? You got to be aware that there's a potential. You know, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Type of mentality. Definitely, like that could definitely happen with the market as well. So the majority of the properties that we own are in price-stable neighborhoods or price-stable areas where when the market goes up or the market goes down, the uh, prices for for our properties will follow, but not at the same level, right? They won't all of a sudden be double the value within a year. Right, right. We're sticking, we're, we don't have such a high up and down swing of things. It's not as volatile. It's definitely not as volatile. And we, you know, there. you also got to pay attention to the pockets within pockets, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some areas of Detroit that had been looking into investing. And Detroit lately has not been a very good place um, overall, as far as schools, as far as crime rates, as far as employment. Oh, everybody's heard the stories about Detroit. Right. Yeah. It's it's horrible. But there are pockets within Detroit that make a big difference. 
You know, so there those, are places in in the city of Detroit that we would actually invest in. Right. The problem is I don't actually live there, so I don't I don't exactly know where they are. And come, you know, let's it's like where my house is at. You know, it's it's a pocket of a city that wouldn't necessarily be known, you know, as a good area. But when you come to my area, you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Yeah, it's right? actually really nice here. Wow. And and it's a pocket within a pocket. This little area, maybe two three streets in this area are higher valued than the entire city itself. Right. Just because of its location. So you there are pockets within pockets that you can so do that a little view bit of out research. the window, I'm telling exactly. you. Exactly. You can do the research and, and make sure you're within a good spot. And then of course we got, you know, the terms of your lease. Once you have uh, purchased this particular property, you gotta start thinking about how you're gonna rent it. Is it gonna be a standard rental agreement? Um, or is it, or is it gonna be like when we did in Vegas where it's like a rent to own rent. give you the option to purchase the mm-hmm. property over time right um so or these are things that we would think of you know depending on what our cash flow was going to be like in vegas we didn't quite hit that one percent so we needed to bring in a little bit of extra income so we threw that option to buy in there not to mention that our actual intention was to sell the property always was so so you know how to make it uh how to make it feasible until we were able to sell Right, right. right. So that's that's where the rent to own strategy came in. Um, the other thing was uh, nowadays you see a lot of short term rentals, right? Vacation rentals, uh, timeshares, and what's mm-hmm. popular today is the Airbnb. Gotta love Airbnb. I mean, it's cool. You stay at Airbnbs? I haven't stayed in an Airbnb. You haven't really? No, I have not. Oh man, I love Airbnbs. They're they're oftentimes better than hotels. Often, because I mean they're a house. It's a house, yeah. It's a house, so it, it it works out. I mean, you can end up renting your t- your home short term, especially if you live in a place like like us in San Diego, where all the Arizonans come over here, you know, during the <laughs> summer. It's, it's it's definitely something pretty cool. It um, is. Or you know, the the other option is to is to be able to sub sublet. So this isn't something that you normally do on a residential, but um, but definitely on a commercial property, you tend to have sublets happen all the time. So mm-hmm. I'm in contract to rent this office space and then i turn around and re-rent the office space that i'm renting to somebody else right that's a sublet so Mm -hmm. it's not you know and just we're just throwing it out there as a term so that you understand that's one of the types of leases or types of agreements that you can get into um it's not really one that you use uh for residential but it is definitely possible i mean it is something that a tenant may ask and so you got to make sure you understand what it is and what you're saying yes or no to. It really might, you know, it might work for you if you're a person who travels often, right? If you are out of the country for several months at a time, you know, it might be worthwhile for you to be able to sublet your uh, apartment or whatever to somebody else while you're gone on whatever trip that you're doing. Right. And that way, you don't, you know, the rent gets paid and somebody has a place to stay for the short term and you're good to go. That's it. Right. Um, yeah. All right, so we have some things to consider. Right, these are kind of important things: maintenance and management. There's there's a lot of people who would rather self manage and would rather take care of the maintenance themselves. And what does that mean to self manage? It means you're the one who goes over to the property and collects the rent. Mm-hmm. You're the one who picks up the phone when the toilet breaks. Mm-hmm. You're the one who contacts the vendors. You're the one who sends the letters you're the one who's doing everything that uh that maintains the property and what's the advantage to that versus hiring a property management company to do that you're exchanging time for money so you're not paying somebody to do the management for you 
So you're not paying a management fee. Instead, you're handling it all. And, you know, that's that's great um, if you are local, right? right? If you're close to the place. I, I don't see any major deal on, on self-managing if you're close by. But for us, our properties are out of state. A toilet breaks, there's no way I'm going to make it there the next morning. Not a chance. To see it. So we have to use a property management company. Not until they invent teleportation. Right, exactly. You know, we need somebody there to market the property if it's vacant, to uh, do quarterly inspections to check out what's going on with our properties, to Mm -hmm. um, do the maintenance or send out a maintenance person to collect the rent, to do all the things that is required in owning a rental property. And as and for those services, we have to pay a management fee, right? They usually range anywhere between range anywhere between seven to twelve percent, depending on your management company and mm-hmm. what services you're going to get. I would say on average, it's about ten. It's about ten, yeah. And that's just kind of a number that we use to estimate what our costs are going to be and make sure that we're still going to be in a positive cash flow status. Right. And so, I mean, when it comes down to it. Um, we've talked a little bit about um, maintenance. We've talked a little bit about uh, the leasing terms. We've talked about finding the right location. All of these things are essentially, you know, the aftermath of making a profit, right? This is how we're going to secure money that we have. If you're fortunate enough to be in the situation where you're actually looking at rental properties and you're deciding whether you're going to finance, whether you're going to pay cash, this is. Um, these are the things that you want to make sure you look at prior to purchasing, right? Mm -hmm. You want to make sure you have a property management company in place, or you're going to be the one managing. You want to be able to see what your rent is going to be. Is it common to have a six month lease or a one year lease or a month to month contract? You know, these are things that you want to make sure you get ahead of time before you sit down and sign the uh, closing docs to, right. to buy and the rental property. And also when we're talking about that 1% and the maintenance and everything else, you want to make sure that you're taking into consideration the PI and the TI. Yes. Right? All the, all the things that are required of you as far as output of money should be covered and should be uh, put into the calculation based on what the rent is going to be. Mm-hmm. Your rent needs to be equal to, if not positive, above and beyond PITI. And PMI, if that applies. And PMI, if that applies. Um, so, you know, hey, there's only one way to buy rental properties, and that's for you to have cash on hand to do so, right? You put money away for a 401k if you're in a job. You put money away in an IRA if you're working. You put money away for all kinds of things. This is just a different strategy to help secure some of your profits that you make. Yep. So how are you going to get those profits, James? Build businesses. Build businesses. And And invest in real estate. Build businesses and invest in real estate. And you're only going to get there with proper guidance. If you are struggling, you need that help, you want a little bit of communication, some accountability, make sure you go to our website, www.csfirst.com. That's S-I-A-S-F-I-R-S-T.com. Send us some info. We'd love to talk to you about what's going on in your situation and uh, give you a little bit of free coaching. Every first call is going to be free anyways. We sit down, consult, see if we even like each other. You might not get, we, you might not like what we have to say. We might not like what you have to say. But the first one is free, right? We want to make sure we at least have an open book and talk to you about it. So head over to our website, send us a little chat, and we'll, uh, we'll get back to you as soon as possible. Otherwise, you can follow us on Facebook at CSFirst or on Twitter. Oh, at Trades on the Road. At Trades on the Road. I swear I'm awake. (laughs) All right. That's all we got for today. Peace. Bye-bye. And I'm out.